This is the Forgotten Ways Podcast, the show where we explore what it looks like to both love God and honor the earth. Join me, Brandon Scott Elrod, in fun interviews with friends who are clergy, philosophers, politicians, business owners, and regular folks like you and me, who are all learning and growing in both our faith and our environmental stewardship. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Forgotten Ways podcast. This is Brandon Elrod, and I am joined today by my friend, Matt Davis. Say hello to everybody, Matt. Hello. Matt has a master's degree in Christian education, uh, has served as a longtime pastor, board president for a nonprofit, biblical studies tour leader, camp speaker, independent consultant, and uh, several other top secret roles that we can't really talk about here on the air. Um, Matt comes from a Jewish heritage that gives him a really unique perspective on the scriptures and on Christianity as a whole. So happy to have you here, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to digging in. So Matt, today we are talking about this idea of gleaning uh, in the Old Testament. Yeah. Can you can you unpack that concept? Because it's a bigger concept than just the word. What, what are we talking about with that word gleaning? Yeah, let's glean what we can from gleaning. Yes. Yeah, I actually didn't even think about that until just now. Um, so gleaning, let's, let's talk about it. This is... Uh, this is agricultural. This is ag- agrarian. This is, we have to be farmers a bit to understand what some of this language means, but um, you, you really have to get your mindset back into what it was like back in the old days. But um, the Torah uh, gives us some, some laws and some concepts, and it's really a provision to take care of the social welfare of the people. How do you take care of the poor? Um, before, you know, government comes in and kind of sets up all of these programs to make sure that you have what you need. Okay, and let me pause you there for those who don't know. The Torah is what? Oh, that's good. Uh, It's the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay. And and really, that that is the code by which uh, many Jews, um, I mean, derive everything. Everything comes from the Torah, and then it's we've 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 taken off from there. And then we have like the Mishnah and the Talmud, and everybody's talking about the commentaries, the oral tradition that comes from that. And it's all about interpreting what are we going to do mm-hmm. with how do, how do you rest on on the Shabbat on the mm-hmm. Sabbath, right? Is that right. Especially in the age of a cell phone, is picking up your cell phone on the Sabbath, is that work or what? No, so, wow. so there's lots of, and we always say wherever there are two Jews, you have three opinions. <laughs> so they, uh, we, we like to argue, and uh, we sometimes we argue with ourselves. So, uh, But in the Torah, um, there's a couple of provisions. Um, so let me just give you a couple of these. Uh, as, as it goes with, with the sowing, you sow the seed, you reap, there's a harvest. Um, but Leviticus 19 is the first place. Leviticus 19, it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Okay. So picture, you have harvest. It's mm-hmm. harvest time. Uh, you have to pick up the crops, whether that is taking the sickle to the wheat, mm-hmm. whether that is gathering the clusters of grapes. And we like to be thorough, right? We don't want to leave any profit right. sitting on the ground. And God is telling his people, hey, when you go through, when it's harvest time, and really your dependence is fully invested in what you're going to gather for the harvest, right? It's not like 
we ran out of groceries. Let's go hit up Costco. Right. Let's. We got to pull everything from the land that we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, God is giving them this command: don't go all the way to the very edge. So don't try to milk it for all it's got. And in the process of doing this, you take take example. So this idea of a sickle, right? Yeah. You're, you're cutting stuff down. You're taking wheat. You today our, our picture is much different, right? We have we have tractors that go through. We, we have very efficient machines mm-hmm. that will go through. But these guys, you have to have them at a certain distance from each other because they're swinging. But it's not totally clean. It's not totally perfect. And so in that process, you're gonna there's some loss, right? You're not gonna be able to profit all right. Of it. Instead of the manager trying to get every last penny, he says, if something falls, if we don't get everything, that's okay. God is saying, that's okay. Leave it where it lies. There's going to be some who come in after you. Okay. Um, So don't go over your vineyard a second time. Uh, Don't go all the way to the very edge. Leave it for who? The poor and the foreigner. Those who are in need. Okay? Okay. Uh, Fast forward to Leviticus 23. Uh, Very similar when you reap the harvest of your land. Do not reap to the very edges of your field the gleanings. Leave them for the poor, the foreigner residing among you. And then Deuteronomy goes a little bit more in depth. Um, Deuteronomy 24, verse 19, it says, When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Almost like (laughs) I I was getting a haircut the other day and... uh, uh, there was a dad that brought his son in and said, hey, you missed a section over here. Can we come back? He said, we have some alfalfas growing over here off to the side. Yeah. So you, you missed something. Don't go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all of the work of your hands. So there's even a blessing attached mm-hmm. to leaving this. This is a form of, of charity and provision for those who need it. Mm-hmm. When you beat the olives from your trees... Do not go back over the branches a second time, right? Don't give them another shake. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. We have a repetition here. There's a a poetry to this. And then he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. This is why I command you to do this. Wow. Remember that you were... yeah, Yeah, so remember that you were slaves in Egypt... So what's the direct connection there between the, the leaving uh, for others and, and the Egypt connection? I, I think that there's a, a reminder for us, uh, and God is always reminding his people throughout the Old Testament. He, remember, I was the one, I'm the Lord your God that brought you out of Egypt with a mighty outstretched arm. Remember that you were once slaves in the house of Pharaoh, and I've brought you to freedom. And in the same way, you're going to have years of plenty and you're going to have years where you're going to be suffering and you're going to need, you're going to need more than what you actually got. And, and who knows, you might be one of those poor, one of those fatherless, mm-hmm. one of those widows. You may be a foreigner. And so remember these times. Don't get too high. In fact, it, it reminds me um, that there's a, a legend, a Jewish legend. It's lore. Mm. Uh, and it's, it's about King Solomon. Wisest man who ever lived. And he had a, 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 a trial. He, won, he brought his wise men together, which is funny that the wisest man needed wise men, but he had <laughs> wise men. Told us it's, it's wise to have wise counsel. And he said, I, I wish to give a present to a king of another kingdom. And I want this present, this gift, to answer the question, what can make the happy man sad and the sad man happy? 
So the wise men go away for a little bit and they come back with a ring and there's an inscription. And in, in Israel today, even it's this, this phrase is, is one that is repeated and it's, it's, it's just part of lore and okay. legend throughout, throughout Israel today. Um, but they inscribed four words on this ring and those four words are, this too shall pass. Mm. This too shall pass. And that's been a phrase for me in, in many phases of my life. But when things are not going well, mm-hmm. um, that it's a reminder that this too shall pass. And in those times of prosperity and it feels like you're on top of the world, to have the humility of knowing that those times might not always be there. And so I, I think that this reminder, remember you were once slaves in Egypt. Hey, you might be okay. You're in the land of freedom. You have your own your prosperity. Your, your right. crops are full. But it wasn't always like this. This too shall pass, and you don't know when that day is, but you, you were dependent on the mercy of God during those times when I brought you out, he says. Mm-hmm. But then you're also, um, you, you have that opportunity to extend that same mercy to those who come through. So it sounds like this is very much a statement, um, not only a, um, a forward-looking, but a rearward-looking statement from the Lord about his provision. Absolutely. And, and Deuteronomy would say that too, right? God is constantly saying, remember, remember, remember. Um, remember where you came from, and I'm leading you somewhere else. So God is, is constantly, and God who is without time is constantly reminding us, past, present, future, that he lives and resides in all of them. Okay. So we have a story out of the book of Ruth yeah. that illustrates this happening. Um and the story is of Naomi, whose husband, whose sons all died in a foreign land. Yeah. These are Jewish people, but in, in a foreign land, they, they've gotten married. The men all die. And so it's, it's Naomi and Ruth and uh, Orpah, her other daughter-in-law. That's right. So she hears that times are good, that the, the land is fertile, that God is providing food back in their homeland of Israel in a town called Bethlehem. Yep. And so she's determined to go back home yeah. uh, really with nothing, but at least there's life happening there. There's familiarity, there's family, there's, there's prosperity that's going on. Right. So she gives her daughters-in-law the opportunity to go back to their own people. And the story goes that Ruth refuses to leave her side and where you go, I will go. And, and so here's where the story picks up. So they both went, Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth, until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? Mm-hmm. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, Yeah who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. The story picks up here in chapter 2. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the city of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of corn after one in whose sight I may find favor. So she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. 
Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now, and she has been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work, and may your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me, and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, that you may eat of the bread, and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. And she, she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied, and had some left. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. Also you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles, and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, which is about six gallons from what, uh, what I understand. So that's quite a story. Plenty, right? Yeah. She read plenty. So this is, this is a beautiful story of, of this very concept of God's provision. Yeah. And as you already illustrated, this is you know, intended for the provision of the, the poor and the foreigner. Yeah. And Naomi and Ruth in this story are both of those. Um, so, but... There's some extra things going on here above and beyond God's normal mandate for provision. So what, what else do you see in the story? Well, we have, we have Ruth. She's not from this place, and so she's a foreigner. Uh, there, there's risk for her. There's considerable risk. Um, you, especially as a foreigner, you, you might not want to show up in a field that you don't have permission to be in. Um, there are laws and there's statutes that you, you could actually be reprimanded. And that's even why... Yeah, go ahead. But why? But why is that? If if the Torah had this provision already, then why would that be a risk? So sometimes uh, that there are provisions, and and it depends. Again, this is two Jews, three opinions. Uh-huh. Um, but you could have certain situations where um, there are there are those that would be from an enemy territory. There are certain permissions that are given in the process of this. And okay. So. Um, he had to get, especially for her as a Moabitess, and, and this is something that Naomi was concerned about. And Naomi was the one saying, like, don't, don't come here. Stay with your people in Moab. You don't need to do this. And, and that's where she has, she's known for this line in, in verse 16, chapter 1. Your people will be my people. Your God. She's, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fully in. I'm fully invested. And I'm going to take care of you for the rest of your life. Now we have these widows that are trying to eke out a living for themselves. And so 
this is this is the beauty of Boaz. Of all of the key figures in the Old Testament, I've heard it said about Boaz that he was the one that you don't ever see any sin. Not that he didn't sin, mm-hmm. but it's never shown that he did. But he is this kinsman redeemer, and he's saying, hey, come on out, and I'm going to give you a covering. There is a grace that is being extended to her. And not just the gleanings, but like, hey, it's okay to skip every once in a while right. and let her come up. So there's a, an extra generosity. Yeah. So again... Picture, picture the, the guys who are going through and they're reaping the harvest. Um, and, and then you have the people who are coming right in behind them. And there were, there were certain laws, and I've read some things that talk about, here's, here's the call of this is the time that it's starting, and this is the time that we're ending for the day. And so now the gleaning is done and taken over. But there's also like a, a certain manual labor that is, is even helping in the cleaning of the fields. Um, whereas they, they could have spent more, uh, time and, and Boaz could have taken his workers and said, all right, we're going to get another round, but there's a trust. Mm-hmm. God, God's going to take care of us in, yeah. in the midst of this. So you said that the normal pattern is that, that those, you know, the, the poor is, they would be following close behind. Yeah. So in this story, Boaz says, no, not even that, not only leave extra for her, but let her glean among you yes. as you're going. Yes. That's, I mean, he's basically putting on her on the level of, of his part, part of his own people, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and when there's a break and people come in the water, come under our tent and here's some of our roasted grain and there's bread and was it the, the vinegar, right? So it's the original like Italian restaurant where you got the bread and you're dipping it (laughs) in the oil and the vinegar, right? Olive garden, or maybe step up macaroni (laughs) grill. There's a little something going on there. Um, but I, I love the picture, and, and we've been out there, and we've looked over these fields. Mm-hmm. This is the fields of Bethlehem, and yeah. if you look, uh, there's a place in, in Israel, so it's, it's looking over uh, Bethlehem, Ramat Rachel. It's, it's the hill of Rachel. This is the, mm. the place where she's believed to have died. And you come out to this ending, and you, you see the shepherd's fields in front of you, and just off in the distance, you see the big city of, of Bethlehem. But beyond that, you see the rolling hills of Moab, and they're they're off there in the distance. And I just I read this story, and it's kind of fun because we have the the context of having been there. Yeah. But you picture, and we saw it from Herodium, right? Um, but you see these rolling hills, and so I I just like to picture like what was the agriculture, what was the farm system that was like, and and there you have it, and and it's it, this is Naomi's hometown from Bethlehem, and she's there. And so they're going out there, and, and, and there is this provision. They're both trusting that God is going to give them uh, what they need here. Well, that's pretty remarkable. Um, so did that same um, provision from the Lord, did that get consistently practiced up through you know, the whole Old Testament into the time of Christ? Is that something that, that remained consistent, or, or were there... Yeah, interruptions even, to that. Even I, I've I've seen that there are even um, towns. There's communities even today that this practice is taking place. Um, mm-hmm. There have been over times, and there's actually been like court cases in France, which said like in 1830s. I heard there was something that uh, that said in France that in the communities that there's no more gleaning. The gleaning cannot really? take place because there were certain people that were taking advantage, advantage of, of that. But it does huh. exist even in some communities today where some of that is left um, to be able to provide for the social welfare of the people who are coming through. Wow. 
That is pretty remarkable. That um, it, I hear in, in your in your explanation of this, there almost is, for for lack of a better term, um, almost seems to be a built-in nobility for the person coming behind. Yeah, that dignity, even right. That the a dignity that they are actually contributing to the well-being of the field. They are doing some of the work. Um, again, if, if it was going to require a second pass to make sure everything was thorough, that wouldn't just be for collecting um, barley and, and grain and, and fruit and such, but it would also be to complete the work. Right. So there's, there's an element there, too, of... Um, Reminds me of the, of the the ironic blessing of of you know the lifting of the countenance. Yeah, yeah, the kind lifting of, of the face. Yeah, I, I think as you look at this and you start to think about what is is taking place, um, God has provided um, all all throughout Scripture, all throughout human history, that there is a, a government in essence that is established that He's put in, and He's He's trying to say, look, just trust Me and My ways. That's for those of us who are followers of Jesus, and we, we take the, the word of God, the Bibles, literally, that there is a lifestyle that we can actually live into that is going to provide us all that we need. Um, I, what I love is that this this command, this, this idea of God's provision for us in every phase of life, um, it takes place. I, I like the passage in Deuteronomy 11, and this is God prepping his people as they're making this transition from Egypt into mm-hmm. the promised land. In Deuteronomy 11, verse 8, it says this. It says, Observe, therefore, all the commands I'm giving you today so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. And so that you may live long in the land the Lord swore to your ancestors to give to them and, and their descendants. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, um, which literally uh, there were goats there. <laughs> so you have milk from the mm-hmm. goats. You have honey from the date palms that are there. But listen to this. The land that you're entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and you irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. Mm-hmm. But the land you're crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks the rain from heaven. It's a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. Uh, I had the chance to go last year to Egypt, and mm-hmm. everything, life is is based on the Nile. Everything comes off the Nile. And so the Nile is there, and there's all these tributaries, there's all of these canals, and you can see even today that the farming, the agriculture, in fact, the land, this green belt, and just look on like a satellite image of Egypt along the Nile. Right. And you have this strip of the water, the Nile going right through, and on either side of the Nile, it's green. It's mm-hmm. plentiful. And Egypt was always called the land of plenty. Um, that's what brought Israel to Egypt in the first place. There was a famine. There was nothing there. So you have this green strip, and then on either side of those green strips on both sides is, is desert. It's desolate. Uh, but... The Israelites would have known um, the difference in how you cared for the fields and how everything took place, right? In Egypt, you had to bring water from one of these canals, these tributaries, and you water it by hand. Uh, and it's very flat. Um, everywhere yeah. I went in Egypt, it's all flat. 
but you get to the terrain of Israel and it feels much different. There are rolling hills. Like I remember the first time going into to Jerusalem and you realize like, oh, it's 2,500 feet in elevation. Like mm-hmm. it's in the hills, there's rolling hills. Not as easy to get water from, and there are there is no water source right. there. And so God is saying, I'm, I'm taking care of you in this. Um, well, and with, and with Egypt, um, you know, I know as an agricultural student myself, yes. um, you know, that there, there was definitely a, and I think American agriculture could actually relate with this. There was um, this element of, of conquerability mm. because of the Nile. Yeah. Um, all you have to do is point and shoot. Where do you want to set up your next neighborhood? Where do you want to set up your next field, your next farm, your grove, whatever? Um, just dig a new trench. Yeah. And, or canal, or, you know, whatever size, but, but you know, it's flood irrigation a lot of times, and you just dig a trench from the Nile all the way to uh, where, where you want it to irrigate. And um, it, was, it was basically guaranteed. Yeah. How could you fail? Right. There's no risk. So what what I hear you sharing in leaving this land, I mean, that's really risky. Yeah. It has to be 100% about God's provision. Yeah. And so for people in the Exodus who are just getting acquainted with this God that they're not super familiar with, that's that's a big move. Right. Is he actually going to send the rain? Yeah. I'm going to plant these seeds. I'm going to sow these seeds. Are they actually going to come up? Mark 4, the, the, the mystery, the parable of the hidden seed. Like, it's, it's a phenomenal thing to think about when you actually think it about really it. It really is. Like, you put a seed in the ground, water, dirt, sun, everything that takes place, and all of a sudden a, a shoot comes up. That faith for that to take place, but you need the water. You need the rain. So God is saying, trust me. I think to the poor, to the fatherless, to the widow, God is saying, trust me that I'm speaking to these people that they're going to leave some of this. And and so the question for me was, and, and, and when I was there last year, uh, the guy who was leading this group, he brought us out to one of these fields in, in Egypt. And it's square. And, and we need a little bit of the theater of the mind to kind of picture this in a, in a podcast because this is, we don't have the video going on. But <laughs> just picture a square. And, and he says, don't go all the way up to the edges when you're doing your gleaning. And, and he also says, leave the corners uh, untouched. I always think about Calvary in our context, and we have some uh, citrus trees yeah. on the corner of our property. That's and I right. just thought, like, oh, that's such a great, like, they're about to, they're about to be fruitful, right? They're, yeah. They're about to be ripe. And they're intended for the community to be able to, to take them for their own system. Right. Like yeah. if, if you need it, we, we should probably get a placard out there that we says, should. <laughs> hey, this is for you. This is the community. But um, I, I love this picture of, all right, well, when you're, when you're making the corners of your property, you mm-hmm. picture your field, um, how do you know how much or how big is a corner? Mm-hmm. God did not prescribe you. He didn't say 10% of your field. Now you have to pace it off. Right. You, as the landowner, the one who is stewarding that land, that land that you're also trusting that God is giving to you and providing the plenty for, you've been given this freedom to now choose how far up to the edge you go. You have the freedom to decide how big those corners are. Mm-hmm. And are you just going to barely cut off and every corner has six square feet? Right. Or are you going to say, I trust so much in God's provision, how he's going to take care of me 
that we're going big on those corners mm-hmm. and we're going to open up our field because we have so much, because we have so much in, in plenty that we're going to not only leave a lot behind, but we're going to not leave very much for ourselves. It's, you know, Rick Warren's the one that would say like, I, I've heard that he, he lives off the 10% oh, and, yeah. and gives away the 90. And, yeah. and so there, there's a, a generosity in this. And I, I think that that's part of the calling for us. I, I think our modern day movements of what this looks like is is dumpster diving, right? Like <laughs> you can go in and that's honestly like there's some communities that, that that is how they survive. I went to Guatemala and they have one of the largest dump uh, groups. There, there's a, a whole village of people that live in the dump. Wow. And you can imagine the poor of the country, uh, the the poor, the, the, the less they're going to actually get as a return from diving through the dumps. But you have, you have, people that are, are dependent on this. And I, I believe that this is where we are, are called as followers of Jesus to allow others to glean from our abundance. Mm-hmm. But there is this recycling nature. And you cut down trees. When I have to. When you I have do. to. Yeah. And, but you also have something called a wood chipper, right? Yeah. Like it's not, you don't take the wood and just, all right, well, we're going to burn it today. Um, right. But there is a a recycling that takes place. And yeah. so there's even a return on that investment. Yeah. Um, and we always try and return that back to the earth it came from, back to the property where it came out of, and reuse it as as ground cover, as mulch, right. um, so it's not lost. Right. So I, I believe that that's what the Lord is doing. And so it, it is this out of our abundance um, that there is this this gleaning that can take place. Yeah. I read a thought. Um, yeah. I don't re- remember uh, the source, but it, it says this. It says, We might classify gleaning as an expression of compassion or justice, but according to Le- Leviticus, allowing others to glean on our property is the fruit of holiness. Mm. We do it be God, because God says, I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 19.10. This highlights the distinction between charity and gleaning. In charity, people voluntarily give to others who are in need, and this is a good and noble thing to do, but it is not what Leviticus is necessarily talking about. Gleaning is a process in which landowners have an obligation to provide poor and marginalized people access to the means of production in Leviticus, the land, and to work it themselves. Mm. How, does, that, does that sit right with you? Does that feel like it captures the thought, or is that you feel like it's, it's richer than that? Well... It's, it's interesting. Um, so later on in Judaism, this is after the tabernacles established, but we now have the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, and outside the temple, there would be a, a tzedakah box. And this word tzedakah, it, it means charity. Okay. Um, and so this was above, there, there was a lot of offerings that took place that you had to do to, to support the work of the temple. There were grain offerings, right? You're bringing all of this before God. But tzedakah is, is this Hebrew word that means justice. Um, it means charity. It's righteousness. Um, but even I remember as a little Jewish kid, <laughs> when we gave our offering, they called it a tzedakah box, and mm. and so we would pass around the tzedakah box. And it it the the word charity in that context um, it, it differs from our Western like modern understanding of what charity is. Okay. Um, and so I'd say that the commandment of gleaning reflects God's desire for people of means to create opportunities for the poor. 
mm. and mar- marginalized. It's okay. not just giving, but it's we're going to create an opportunity. Like yeah. we're not just going to give you a bag of of grain, but mm-hmm. you can go through and you can actually work for it yourself. You can do some of the the process of of gleaning that so that that people can come through charity. I, I would say you can say hand out versus a hand up mm-hmm. um, if you want to make a, a difference. But I, I think they're also both a beautiful picture yeah, of, yeah. of God's heart towards his people. Yeah. Well, this is, this is pretty remarkable because you have this big act of faith really by anyone who has a field, whether it's theirs or they're, 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 you know, leasing it or whatever the setup is, um, that they're going to leave behind a percentage. Um, and that's whatever, whatever they choose. Um, and so there's there's risk in that, but God's provision is built into that. So it is remarkable to take that another step further in not gathering all the produce for yourself, that when you have the periods of rest, prescribed rest for the land hmm. that God sets forth, like, wow, that's, that's even more risk. Yeah. Like, we're supposed to take a whole year off from this parcel of land and how are we going to make it? So it's, it's, it's remarkable that this isn't just everything in, in this one story. This is part of the bigger story of God's provision kind of at multiple levels, at the small individual family farm level, at the, at the, you know, the, the neighborhood or community level, at the, the level of the king providing for the people, that there's all these waypoints where you have to kind of surrender a bit. I think if I were to sit down and truly think about the question, what's truly behind a lot of my anxiety today Mm -hmm. is the question of, will I have what I need? Sure. Will I have what I need? And, and we understand as, as dads, as fathers, husbands, there's an expectation um, and probably appropriately that like we want to provide. And so not only will I have what I need, <laughs> my bread for today, but will I be able to take care of my family in that? Right. And I, I feel that every time we order two pizzas at our house <laughs> and I see how quickly those slices get taken away. And I wonder, did we get, should I've gotten the extra large <laughs> or should I've gotten a third pizza? Cause these guys yeah. are little, but they're eating a lot, but you start to look at your possessions, you start to look at what you have and it feels like everything that I've earned, everything that I own is slowly being taken from me. Mm-hmm. And, and it starts with God saying, Hey, I want the first slice. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're talking like all of this is after you've given God what is his, this is his, this is his land. So when that first, the first fruits of your harvest comes up, right. God says, that's what I want. That's right. So you give that. Okay, there's one slice that's gone. Yeah. And now we're going to leave a slice or two behind. Mm-hmm. And now I'm looking, I'm saying like, all right, well, we got this kid has to eat this kid. <laughs> that kid eats a lot over there. Yeah. And, and how are we going to, is there going to be enough? Right. And this is, this is the question. And I, I think it's, it's the same question that was posed to the Israelites as they're going through Egypt. And, and manna is now coming from the sky, which is... Crazy. Sure. It's, 
it's it's there to begin with. But even even bigger is like, well, how are you moving one to two million people through the wilderness without Costco again, right? Mm-hmm. And, and God says, no, no, take what you need each day because it's going to rot after that, mm-hmm. and then we're going to give you that that day, the Sabbath. You're going to rest. You're not. You're going to take. Twice as much on, on, on Friday because I want you to rest. You're not going to gather. But that's a scary 48 hours. Right. Is it going to come back again? Am I going right. to have what I need? And so you have to look at this story. And I love the passage with Ruth. They're coming from nothing. They've gotten, this is survival, right? You either have to be kind of beautiful and be able to marry again. Um, but Ruth doesn't have much of a chance of that, right? She's probably going to stay with her. She's dependent on her daughter-in-law. Are we going to make it through this? And and so God sees us. God sees us in this. And I, I think that this is a good reminder for us um, that, that we will have what we need. Yeah. There's a trust to all of this. Yeah. So a complicating factor um, to lighten it up a little bit would be uh, our trip to Israel last year. Yes. We, we drove through a lot of landscape that was absolutely covered in rocks. Yeah. I mean, there were some fields, like, you know, Bethlehem area overlooking it. It seemed like it was rolling hills, and it, was, it wasn't too bad. But, man, there was a lot of area, especially kind of north end of Galilee, where it was just boulders everywhere. And not, like... Big enough ones where you can work around them, mm-hmm. not small enough ones you can just kind of plow through them and plant around them. No, these are like the wrong size rocks. These are all like ten inch rocks. Like you, they're just in the way. Right. You you have to get rid of them. And so this even just this, you know, the stories that we see in the scriptures or or the parables um, about the rocky soil and. I have a newfound appreciation for the challenge of having to clear the land and work the land um, in that setting, baking in the sun, no water anywhere (laughs) nearby. You're looking for a well. Wow. That's, that's hard. That's a hard, hard job. Well, that's what what Mark Twain in 19th century, right? Was he, was Mark Twain 1860s or something like that? Yeah, I believe so. He, he takes his pilgrimage to Israel and he says, what a desolate dump of a land. Like, and Mm. and now you look at at how much everything is, is thriving. Mm -hmm. Um, But that took work for the early pioneers. So when, when some of the first settlers come through there, um, I've heard stories and I've seen pictures of the befores and a- I love before and after yeah. pictures of this is what it used to look like and here it is now, move that bus, all that. But that was a lot of the work. Some of the land was swampland, um, not farmable. You couldn't, mm. you couldn't make anything happen. And then, yeah, you're talking about the northern Galilee. It's the Golan Heights. And you'll see rock walls that were built because those rock those rocks were harvested from the ground. <laughs> I believe it. And they piled them and now you have to you have to prepare the field. And so I'm sure there's a lesson even in there of making sure that that field is is farmable and, and to to make that work. But all all of that takes work and when you do that you're gleaning the fields. Um, you you are preparing the fields for a great harvest. And that that is our call, right? Is yeah. that there is a harvest out there and that we are are called to go out there and and to reap that harvest. It's it's a beautiful thing. Well, well this is uh you know, we know that the scriptures are are full from front to back of uh examples and stories of God interacting with 
humankind in nature. Um, today we focused more on kind of the agricultural side of it and the, the, the human part and, and growing. And, and um, this idea of gleaning is really, really fascinating and I think really fitting in some of the conversations that are going on today about uh, refugees and homeless and, mm-hmm. and um, displaced peoples and what our response could be, should be, ought to be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and it's clear in this conversation that, that God was not only taking care of um, the poor and the foreigner um, from a provisional perspective, their, their basic needs for food, but he was also providing for them in, uh, in dignity and he was providing for them in inclusion, yeah. in, in community, yeah. being part of the people and being part of his people. And so I think there's some really fascinating parallels we can draw between that and and even as believers, as Christians, what we are called to. Yep. And um, do you have any any closing thoughts on that? Yeah, I I think people people often talk about God doing exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. Right? Ephesians mm-hmm. talks about that. And the question for me, even as we've been thinking about it, as I've been kind of processing this topic is, well, what does this look like in my current lifestyle? Um, how do I actually live this out? What uh, are the corners of the fields of my life? What are the extra yeah. margins that I can share? Am I living within my margin to be able to give margin? And, mm-hmm. and so I, I think the challenge for us is, um, you know, what are the talents and gifts um, that we can be leading in either our church communities, uh, leading a study, be able to do that? Um, what are the extra time margins that I, I'd be able to give? And so I can sit with some people and, and be of help to them. Uh, it could be, I, I think, uh, even in this time of year that we, uh, there, there's always some kind of food drive, right? And so we glean our, our pantries and <laughs> yeah. we, we get those horrible cans of stuff that we'll never eat. There's the blueberry filling. Right. Like, why did I buy this? Like, how many cans of pumpkin filling do I right. need? Right. Like, so... Um, but what are those things? And and it could be giving, um, there, is there free space? Are there donations that I can be giving? And mm-hmm. so uh, I, I think that gleaning created in God's economy a safety net for those who are in need. And that's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's mm-hmm. what the kingdom of God looks like. And I, I think Boaz was was locked into that it, he yeah. he got people to notice the dignity of those who are gleaning yeah and because of that i think that that is our call if if you do that that looks different than everything and everyone else that is not the world's economy the world's economy is we're going to make this as efficient as possible i saw a tractor a video of a tractor the other day um going through lavender fields this uh-huh. tractor that it could simultaneously like it goes through and it's pulling up all of the purple lavender yeah um, but not taking out the entire plant it left nothing behind it it sucked all we were absolutely efficient like as efficient as there would be nothing left for the gleaners and god's saying no life's messy yeah leave something behind but but honestly we're, we're afraid of the risk too you know we're afraid of in in an age of terrorism, we're afraid of foreigners. In an age of um, you know robbery and living in a city that isn't the safest in the world, we're afraid of uh, homeless. We're afraid of people who have um, you know who have drug issues and things like that. That it just it makes 
us so often just, you know, get into a huddle and just try and protect ourselves, protect our interests, protect our money, protect whatever it is. Right. And um, kind of the, take advantage of me once, shame on you. Yeah. Take advantage of me twice, yeah. shame on me. So I'm going to I'm going to guard. I'm going to put fences around my property. Yeah. We're not letting anything in. And it's hard to know how to filter sometimes filter the opportunities that that come around what's legit what isn't mm-hmm. and so i think as a whole we just we just get afraid um and and but there was certainly fear you know room for fear for the israelites is god going to come through i don't have i don't actually have any water is he going to come through with water yeah <laughs> we're worried about far less for sure but i think we could learn a good lesson from our forefathers in the faith here. Yeah. So and I would say maybe just even in closing is this is this is something that my kids challenge me often with is we, we live in a community where on their way to school we, we see multiple homeless people that are walking the streets mm-hmm. and um, the and so it always stirs questions for my kids. Where did mm-hmm. they sleep last night? What are they gonna eat? What's in their shopping cart? What do they absolutely need? Mm-hmm. And and I think that we we want to make sure that if we're going to leave something behind, that it's invested really well, right? Yeah. I'm going to give you this corner, but like, are you, do you know how to make bread? Don't burn the bread. Don't mess this up. Right. And there's part of that that we aren't responsible for. Yeah. There's going to come a point in time where we have to stand in front of the Lord and we have, and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? Right. Mm-hmm. Matthew 25. Um, so did you just take what I gave you and bury it? Because at least it's safe there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm, you know, there's some people who say, I'm not going to give money to the poor uh, because they're just going to use it to buy things. They're going to get alcohol and all that. I think that I have a responsibility before God to do the right thing. Yeah. And I also think they do too. Yeah. And so they're going to answer to the same God and they're going to say, well, what did you, he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you mm-hmm. through Matt, through whatever that gift was? Mm-hmm. And so there is a, a I don't want to be foolish, but I, I want to be generous to the point of it, it might be ridiculous and uh, I want to be helpful. Um, but that is part of God's economy and that is what the kingdom of God looks like. Yeah. Well, those are good words and those certainly fit with, with the gospel, don't they? Yeah. Well, Matt, thank you for being with us today. This is going to wrap up our conversation on gleaning. So we thank you all for joining us. And Matt, we look forward to having you with us in the future. Can't wait. You've been listening to the Forgotten Ways podcast with Brandon Scott Elrod. To find out more, visit ForgottenWays.org. Join us next time as we once again explore what it can look like to love God and respect the earth, beginning with our own heads, hearts, and homes.